Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I am your host, Peter Komalafe. This is where we talk about money and all things personal finance, where we help you make the best financial decisions possible because money is a tool and life is for living. Good morning. Welcome back to the Conversation of Money podcast. So this episode this week is going to be different to the episodes that I've uploaded so far this year. Um, It's actually going to be quite a bit longer um, and that's because I'm going to drop you straight in to the conversation that I had on Saturday evening with a guest called Charlie London. Now he's on YouTube um, under Moving Home with Charlie. He's a property expert. He's got 25 years experience. And the reason why I wanted to have a conversation with him was because over the past week or so, I've spoken extensively about mortgage rates, what's happening in the property market. I'm getting a lot of questions from first time buyers, sellers, what should they do? Uh, What are the key things to consider? And if I'm completely honest, that isn't my area of expertise. So Charlie is the property expert. This conversation was extremely enjoyable. Um, It's long. So again, I'm going to warn you, you probably want to come back and, you know, digest this in two or three takes. But I promise you right now, the gems that Charlie dropped in this conversation are invaluable. And, you know, you're going to take, you're going to, you're going to hear a lot of stuff and you have to take it and interpret it to be as you want. But if you're a first time buyer, if you're selling a home, if you're a property investor, you need to hear this conversation. So without further ado, I'm just going to drop you straight in to the live stream audio. All right. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, judging by the comments, the pre-comments that I've had for this live, um, it's pretty cool. You guys are expecting and are expectant of uh, Charlie coming onto the stream. Um I was going to play a, a prank on you guys, but I'm not going to do that because that would be a little cruel. In fact, one person actually said to me, I hope that Charlie being in the, in the thumbnail is not clickbait. No, it is not clickbait. So before we actually get started, um, a couple of things from me. Um, I'm really, really happy to have Charlie on. We've been We've been talking about doing this for a while now, actually, it's probably been two or three months or so, probably even longer than that. Um, and so it's great that he's made time this evening for us to have this conversation. And this is going to be important given the the landscape of which we find ourselves right now around interest rates. The past week or so, I've covered quite a lot about, you know, what are the things that you can do if you do have a mortgage right now? One of the things I haven't been able to do is kind of answer the question for first-time buyers. And a lot of people do ask me, what about first-time buyers? So this is where I think Charlie's going to be able to offer his own unique perspective. We're going to be talking about the property market. We're talking a little bit about language as well, because I think that's very, very important just in terms of your sentiment of how you're seeing things. Um, I just want to say as well, um, the best way that you can help this this stream right here is to make sure that you smash the like button button, be it on my channel here or whether you're watching over on Charlie's channel because he is also uh, streaming this uh, simultaneously uh, simultaneously as well. So smash the like button. It helps with the YouTube algorithm. It means that if you get value from it and you show appreciation, the algorithm will basically push it to other people who are like you who may need to hear our conversation and learn from the points that we're going to raise as well. Second thing you can do to help us both is also subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. Um, without further ado, I'm just going to bring Charlie in because, um, yeah, absolute legend and people are dying um, to have you here, mate. So thank you for uh, for joining me. One second, mate. Let me just get this right. Uh, what have I just done here? All right. It's on the wrong one. I need to go here. There we go. Welcome, mate. 
Good evening. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Hi, everybody. No, no worries, mate. How 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 have things been for you then? <laughs> wow, they've been um, uh, full on, relentless, I should say. Um, uh, it is. It's a it's a really, you know, one could say a fascinating time. Some people could say it's a worrying time. Some people could say an exciting time. It depending on what your position in the market is, but. Whatever your position in the market is, the, the housing market is entering a phenomenal and significant stage in its overall life cycle. Whether that's good or bad for you depends on where you are. But yeah, it's intense times, intense times. So one of the things that we started talking about just before we went live was language around this, right? Yeah. Um, because I think language is very, very important especially the sentiment around um, the language as well. And even I've used it for this thumbnail because I think that's the language that most people relate to. And that's probably the yeah. question that they're asking the most, although it's probably not the right phraseology. So can you just explain what uh, yes. what you think the right phraseology should be? Because it's not necessarily a crash in terms of an uncontrolled uh, drop within one particular day. Yeah, correct. So stock markets can crash in a day. Um, the media uses the word crash a lot about house prices, but house prices never crash, they slide. When you look at them in the rearview mirror a few years later, people call it a crash, like the 2008 crash, but at the time, it's always a slide. So the one thing to be really important uh, to, to be very clear about is that if you are a first time buyer and you hear all this talk of a house price crash, it doesn't mean that prices are gonna suddenly drop 10 or 20% in a few weeks. That's not how it works. Uh, although having said that, I do think we are entering what will be the steepest part of the house price slide in the next six to 12 months. Really, really steep. And actually, it's worth putting some numbers about it. So during the 2008 crash, the average monthly fall in UK average house prices, the average for the whole downturn period was 1.2% per month, all right? And they fell varying and it's always there are always regional differences and, and people see you know when the land industry comes out as it did not with april but with marches and say 1.2 percent down everyone goes oh that's not a crash is it no of course one percent isn't a crash but you you, you annualize that uh and uh yeah suddenly that's 15 percent. you know so um so really really important it's always a slide now what, what happens is and the really big difference i mean your channel is all about money and almost all other investments you can make through your phone and do the transaction within minutes of deciding to do it. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are, how much money you've got, you want to buy or sell a property, it can take months, <laughs> right? Months. And so it, this creates two problems. Number one, there is no visibility of what is happening at the coalface of agreed houses, house transactions today. There is no index for that. It, it, so, so there's no visibility. And of course, a lot of the the bad actors in the moving market exploit that uh, lack of transparency about what's happening now to tell you that everything's fine, right? Mm -hmm. And to tell the house prices are going up and like that, when they're not. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that even once house price transactions have completed and been registered, funny enough, HMRC registers them faster than the land registry. HMRC registers them because of stamp duty. They want to get their stamp duty right now as soon yep. as you complete yep. right so that's why hmrc's transaction volume numbers are actually much more up to date than land registry so hmrc doesn't report on prices but it does report on transaction volumes and that tells you what transaction volumes are doing 
The land registry reports on the prices. Now, not only is there a significant time lag, I mean, they just reported April, right? And we're in June. So there's the two months later to report what they're reporting from April, but they only, I think in March, they only had 7% of transactions made up their March house price index. So it's a very, very small, I mean, they small, are yep. actual prices. And then over the course of the year, they, they build up and build up. And actually, I mean, in the first quarter of this year, they added something like 40 or 50 more thousand transactions to last Q1 2022's figures. So they are, they've got a one year backlog until the land registry actually completes reporting on actual house prices. And there are lots of movers who've sold a house or bought a house and they, they months later, they say, oh, it's still not showing up on the land registry. So this creates a real problem for people who want to know, well, what's actually happening? And mm -hmm. with what is actually happening, and, and for all of your viewers who haven't seen my, my channel, I, I would like to give you the two most important things to know about house prices. And these really are important. Number one, there are three, I call it the three A's of house prices, right? Asking prices, right? number one, asking prices. Mm -hmm. Number two, agreed prices. So asking prices, what it goes on the market at, what you see mm -hmm, the price mm -hmm. of the web, agent's website, right move. Number two, the agreed price, the price at which the buyer and seller agree to transact and the estate agent brokers that deal. There's then currently an average of four to five months between when the price is agreed and when it exchanges. Mm -hmm. And during that time, obviously, a lot of deals fall through. Typically, it's one in three. In, in the current market, it's, more like, it's going to be more like one in two. Um, the actual price is then so five months later. So there's about a year between an asking price and an actual price, roughly. Okay. So those are the three. So whenever anyone says house prices are doing this or house prices are doing that, you should always say, which ones? Mm -hmm. Asking prices? Because asking prices are frankly irrelevant. Asking prices are mm -hmm. a conversation opener and nothing more. Yep. And the same property will be given two completely different asking prices by two different agents, right? A really good yep. quality agent will, will give the property a, a correct asking price that will get it sold quickly. And a mm -hmm. weak agent that just relies on guff will, will sort of whack it up to only up to 20% over what it's really worth. So that's why you should never consider making your offer based on a percentage off asking price generically. You should always mm -hmm. consider each offer uniquely on the individual property. So that's that's golden rule number one, right? The three A's of asking prices, uh, of house prices, sorry. Asking, agreed, actual. And remember that there's the delay. Now the other critical thing to understand about housing market news and house price indices and all of the media coverage of the housing market is that none of that bears any relation to the individual property that you are buying or selling. Each individual property has its own unique market. And that market is defined by three things. The seller's reason for selling, so their position, their motivation for selling, their how, how, how much must they sell, because that changes what price that house will sell for, right? The yeah, same sure. yep. house will sell at a different price depending on the seller's reasons for selling. So that's number one. Number two, the desirability of the property, obviously, which can be affected by everything, including neighbors. And number three, the buyer's position. And I don't just mean whether they're a cash buyer or a mortgage buyer, but how well prepared are they? How much do they actually have all their ducks in a row? Have they got their mortgage and principal ready? Have they got the conveyancer signed up? Are they offering to pay for a search pack if the offer's accepted to speed up the transaction? That is a hot to go buyer, right? And of course, cash buyers but you know, the thing is, cash buyers can change their minds as well. So it's not always the case that a cash buyer is, is a, 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 um, 
it's a, a sure thing. Certainty, exactly, mm-hmm. a sure thing. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing. So, do not obviously look at all the news about housing market, but don't apply it in a general way to all the properties that you're looking at because where you're looking to live or where you're looking to sell has its own unique local market and it's a three-dimensional market it's always the location i mean you know two two neighboring streets can be totally different markets right number one uh, number two is it a flat or a house there will be different mm-hmm. markets in the same town for flats versus houses and number three are you at the bottom end of the price range for those flats or those houses or are you at the top end or in the middle because again where, wherever you are there'll be different price dynamics okay so the market for the lowest price flats will have different dynamics from the market for the highest price flats and that's why no general housing market news is of, of any real value to you when you're trying to decide what to do with an individual property whether you're selling it or buying it all right so mm-hmm. so those are my two rules wrap up the three different three different housing prices asking agreed and actual and the housing market is a market of a million anecdotes. So yes, look at the news, but then kind of put it to one side and then assess your own market very especially. And if you're a buyer, the best way to do that is to be out viewing. It's the only way to know what's happening at the cold face. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment. Interest rates. Oh my God. <laughs> so much stuff going on. So with everything you just said there, I think one of the big things that I, I, can, I can imagine say first time buyers will be concerned about like you just said that there will be a different market for where you essentially are so it's important to pay attention to that local economy so to speak how do you go about interpreting some of all of this noise that we're hearing at the moment around interest rates and the fact that property prices are probably going to slide into right do you buy now or do you wait or do you just sit and do nothing how do you interpret all of that what's your what's your what's your take right if you're just talking about buyers in particular now, right? But whether you're a, whether you're a first-time buyer or a second-time buyer or a cash buyer or a mortgage buyer, it doesn't matter. If you are a buyer, and I'm only talking about home buyers, I know a lot of your audience is investors. Everything that I'm saying is only relevant to people looking to buy a property to live in. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not the same advice or guidance if it's for rental or you know investment purposes. But if you are looking mm-hmm. for a home, and you currently are not enjoying your living circumstances, then being in a home that you own, even if it's got a mortgage on it, allows you to get on with all areas of your life, your relationships, your career, your your personal progression, everything. It is so valuable to live in a home that you own where you haven't got to worry whether there's a landlord about to kick you out or whether your parents are about to kick you out or all those sort of things. It's incredible. The first time you move into a home that you own, the last thing you're going to think about is the financials of it. You'll be like, this is amazing. Yep. It's a different world. It's, it's a yep. whole yep. new phase of my life. This is incredible. So it doesn't really matter what the market's doing. If you can comfortably afford, the, the, so there's, there's several checkpoints. Here. There's actually a long list of that 10, but the three key ones are this. If you want, just rewind a second. If you have found a property that you want to live in, and you can comfortably afford it, okay? Um, and But living in that home means your life is gonna be significantly better than not living in that home, mm-hmm. non-financially. Then you should buy a home and move on and get on with your life and get on with your relationship, get on with your family, get on with your career, get on with, move. Don't delay a move simply to save a few thousand quid or, or to, you know, so, so that's if you can afford. If you've got a home you like now, and you can, you can afford to buy now, 
buy it now with the following caveats. Number one, don't overpay. Do not overpay. <laughs> That's a whole topic in itself, which we can come on to. Right? Mm -hmm. Do not overpay, yeah. especially now when the risks of negative equity are at their absolute peak. Okay, so do yep. not overpay. Yep, yep, yep. Number, one. number two, again, given where, you are, given where we are on the market cycle, if you need to move again, if you know that you need to move again within three to five years, and you're buying with a, a large loan to value mortgage, I would not be buying right now because there's a very high chance that with a high loan to value mortgage, buying now, you will not be able to sell it and clear your mortgage for at least five years. Okay. I'm glad that um, you've said some of this stuff and I'll carry on because I'm, I'm yeah. just literally writing down a couple of points that I want to circle back to. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so that's the second thing. Um, but, but, but if you're going to be there for 10 years or more, if you're buying a home, it's like, we're not, we're, we're staying here and that's it. Right. Um, then you don't need to worry so much about that risk as long as you can keep up your mortgage payments whilst your home goes through the negative equity period and then comes back out of it in the future. Hopefully. <laughs> no guarantees this time around. Mm -hmm. um, and the third thing is, do not buy a home now. Yes, you could have done even five years ago, not less than five years ago, up to five years ago, you could have bought a home to live in and also have had reasonable expectations of it delivering you quite a comfortable financial return that ship has sailed do not buy a home because you think it's going to make you money because it isn't going to for a while for a long time now in my view right number one do not buy a home because you think it's going to be a pension like that, that that's worked for a few decades that party is over do you really um, think it's going to get that bad I, i'm i am as close to certain as it's possible to be Okay, we'll circle back to that. Carry on. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, and also don't take on a mortgage now unless your confidence of keeping your job and your ability to repay it is very high. Or if you think that your job might be at risk, your confidence of getting a new job is very high. This is where, of course, you've got to make a judgment call based on what you think the economy is going to be doing in the next mm -hmm. two, three, four, five to 10 years. Um, because, you know, I don't think, well, there are fewer and fewer people now disagreeing with the fact that, okay, things have got worse than we expected, right? This time last year, yeah, sure. everyone thought it was, still the, it, was, it was May last year that I first called it and said, uh, there are, the house prices are going to collapse um, in May. And then I, and I put a video out in August that, that really made my channel take off eight reasons UK house prices will collapse. And they are. As, as as pretty much as I was project, uh, projecting. So, um, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there, so I'm probably going to stop and let you circle back with whatever. Okay. Right, so there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I, I do want to circle back to, which are really, really important, I think. You mentioned that, that, that the possibility, the chance of negative equity now is higher than it's been for a very, very long time. And I, I would love to get your thoughts on this specifically for, you know, the first time buyer cohort because I get asked so many times, is a 95% mortgage something that's worthwhile doing? 90% uh, mortgage worthwhile doing? And I'm always saying to people, look, if you can get to the position 
where you have the largest deposit possible, not only going to enter better rates, but also you're going to have a little bit more equity to play with. And you mentioned something that was gold, and I'm glad that you said it. If you're going to be buying a house to, to live in, and this is the roof over your head, I think social media has convoluted this idea that everyone has to be a property investor and therefore you should be looking at property like a cash return equity return for the property that you buy you've made a really nice distinction in terms of it's the house that you live in it's going to better your life psychologically you're putting money into an asset that is going to be your security no longer paying rent mm -hmm. so on the negative equity side of things for people who do have say i'm going to i'm going to put this in the 90 to 95% loan to value you bracket. What do you think are the things that they need to look for, particularly with, we'll come to the numbers that you're saying to at the moment that you think property will go down by, which mm. I think will shock a lot of people. What would be your word of advice to them? Well, interestingly enough, I mean, this might surprise some people actually, but it depends on your personality type as far as your risk appetite is concerned, okay? There are people for whom a 95% mortgage now, if it means they aren't being horribly abused by a bastard landlord, <laughs> they'd <laughs> rather roll the dice, right? Yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah. I'll get my chances of negative equity over having to put up with that anymore. So yeah, yeah. If if you're someone who goes right, 95% mortgage, I'm going to be a negative equity for probably at least five years. I don't know how safe my job is, but if I lose my job, I lose my house. I'm no worse off than I am now. I'll lose my 5% deposit, but that's that that's the stake that I'm rolling, right? The five depends that I'm willing to risk my 5% deposit. And also the fact that the bank might come after you for the balance of your negative equity. That's that's another thing that happens. I'll come on to that in a minute. But my point is there are some people who Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Whoa, whoa. Hang on a second. We yeah. we do need to touch on that though. We do need we to touch on that because I don't think that that, that doesn't get mentioned. Enough. Right. Okay, I'll tell you and that will scare right. the bejesus out of a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And so it should. In the worst case scenario of negative equity, so you buy a house, and there are people, by the way, who are already in this position, who bought nine months ago, they bid over, they overpaid with a 95% mortgage, and they're already in negative equity. And there'll be people who did that, who are going to lose their jobs later this year. It's very, very sad news. And, yeah. But... but and then you can't keep up your mortgage repayments. And yes, the government said, okay, talk to your bank earlier and maybe we'll give you another year before we repossess your house and stuff. And I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I don't think, I think that's a bit, always talk to your bank, always, you know, always talk to them early to explore your options, of course. Mate, I was on Sky News yesterday and they were talking about how this is a new thing. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't new. You've always, you've always been able to speak to your bank. So this is what <laughs> Without happens. it affecting your negative equity, yeah. your, your I know. You can always call. talk to your bank. I mean, that's just basically the bank saying, we want to know sooner if you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't keep up your mortgage repayments. You are eventually evicted from your house. You have your house repossessed. You are you, you know, you're, you're ultimately you are forcibly removed. And by the way, if this happens to anybody watching this, don't leave the home until the day the bailiffs turn up with a court warrant to actually physically remove you. Right? Just, just you know, if you're in that terrible situation you are going to have some period of time when you're living there, not paying a mortgage, right? Mm, and true. you are absolutely legally entitled to stay in there until a bailiff with a court warrant for possession and eviction of that property from you turns up.
you are absolutely entitled to do that, right? So if anyone should find themselves in that really horrific situation, don't think you've got to get out any sooner than you have. You stay there until that day comes. That day will come eventually, right? As long as you know it comes. But sometimes that day can take six months longer than they, look, you know, if they end up with, yeah. with the backlog of this, you might be there for a whole year. You might have a free yeah, place yeah. to live for yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not advising, or I'm just letting people know what their rights are, you know, so. But what then happens is the bank will repossess the house and they, they might, they may or may not say to you, hey, look, do you want to sell it yourself? But that's them just giving you their dirty work, frankly. You know, because when you put a house on the market that isn't put on as a repossession by the bank, it's not listed as a repossession and it gets more interest. So the bank will get slightly yeah, more money sure. for it, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all, it's, the banks never do anything that isn't somehow in their interests. It's no surprise to anybody, right? But it just, yeah. they, they just don't. Um, if you, let's just use simple round numbers. Let's say that your mortgage was a hundred thousand pounds and you, you bought a property for 105 or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and because the property prices have fallen uh, and they're selling, they're selling to, to, to pay off your mortgage debt uh, in, in a property downturn, they only sell it for 75,000 pounds. And you think, well, I've lost my home, lost my deposit. You now owe the bank 25 grand that they will come after you for until you pay it or until you go bankrupt, right? So it's not just, oh, I'll lose my home. It's I'll lose my home and they will come after me for the difference between what they sell it for and my mortgage amount. It's, you know, I know yeah. people to whom this happened in the 90s and it ruined their lives. It ruined their life prospects. They had this massive debt that, you know, the, the people I know did it. I mean, they, they young, married, family, jobs, everything doing right. They, they didn't overextend themselves. They bought a modest place and then everything went wrong at the same time. Um, the company that, that he was working for folded. He was made redundant. The jobs market collapsed. Interest rates went up. He couldn't keep his mortgage payments up. House prices collapsed, as we all know, in the early 90s. Um, and, you know, this is a guy with a young family, three kids, and having had a great job, like a really, really good job with great prospects, the economy turned against him. It, it, it tore his family apart and he never recovered. You know, it, this happens, which is why it makes me quite cross, actually, when I hear people saying, oh, yeah, but it doesn't happen to that many people. Yeah, yeah, true. Oh, well, point, oh, because it doesn't fine. happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah. altogether. It does. Yeah. You just don't experience so, it. Yeah. So people need to understand that that's what can happen if it's a worst case scenario, right? But if you are someone who right now has managed to scrape together a 5% deposit, but you don't own anything else, and that scenario happens to you, then you just go, you just go bankrupt. You know, you have it repossessed. Yeah, sure. Then they can't, then they can't come after you. Go, yeah. You know what? Don't want to, don't want to pay. I've got it. I've yeah. got it. I've got nothing else to take. I've got nothing else to lose. You have nothing to lose, right? So, it's it's uh, yeah. Remember that you have that option. So the so this the snow that you described back in the nineties, pretty bleak picture, right? Yeah. Okay. Employment market collapses, property market collapses, the economy just turns on you. Do you think where we are right now could progress to that stage? I mean, I did, I did, a, I've, I've been doing lives on this all, all week, and I read the um, <clears throat> the summary notes to the MPC meeting, the Monetary Policy Committee meeting, and in one of the clauses, they've clearly stated if we monitor inflation and we 
and we recognize that there are further inflationary pressures, essentially they're going to keep going. Jeremy, Jeremy Hunt is on record to say that he's there to back the Bank of England to do the right thing, to continue if they need to, even if it means that the economy goes into a recession. So do you think it could get that bad, 1990s kind of bad? I'm afraid I think it's going to be worse. Um, uh, for a long list of reasons uh, where the economy is going to suffer more this time than it did that time. Because what the, co the economy didn't have that time was the hangover of ultra low rates and quantitative easing for 15 years. That yeah. is the party that we're now going to be paying for for quite a long time that, what, that didn't happen last time. So, um, uh, you know, the thing is, it's an individual decision for everyone. And we can talk about what things that happen with the economy and jobs, but, but ultimately it's a personal decision for each person. But what we can see, you know, looking at the inflation figures, looking at interest rates, all of the media coverage of it last autumn, when I, when, when myself and my, my friend Alex, also known as Housing Stig, were talking about it and, uh, and, and forecasting 6% rates and that kind of stuff, and everyone's going, nah, you idiots, you don't know yeah. anything about it. Right? And mm -hmm. what we kept on doing was we kept on saying to people, we've done the maths and shown you why and you can see what's happening and it's going to happen and there's 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 so much historical precedent you do the long-term number crunching and this is what's happening it is like an oil tanker you can't stop it and everyone's response was no because inflation is going to come down and interest rates will come down and they'll have supposed to go up and we say okay but why and nobody mm -hmm. can answer to why and mm -hmm. it was all everyone just hoping. And of course, everyone hears everyone else saying that, going, no, inflation is going to come down really quickly. And then interest rates will come back down and everything will be fine again. And people kept buying houses because of that false hope message being peddled. People bought houses last autumn leading up to Christmas who are now wishing that they hadn't because they believe the message that everything's going to be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, in back in what, during the COVID, they had that stamp duty um, freeze, didn't they? And I know that there were a number of first-time buyers who went into that, so didn't pay any stamp duty, get your first home, but they went in at 95% loan to values and stuff. And, yeah. you know, they're going to be, I mean, it's a shock if they took a two-year fixed rate right now because what rates back then were probably still in that 1%, 2% range to go to a two-year two, two fixed rate on average of, what, 6.19% as of yesterday, it's it's going to be a massive shock to the system. And God we, forbid we, being neg neg negative as well. We have got five years of fixes at low rates ending coming up. Mm. No one's mentioned that. Yep. I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere. What about all the five-year fixes from the last two years? Mm -hmm. and, and and from the last five years. So going back three, four, four, people doing five-year yep. fixes at low rates. It's not just the one. Well, my, my, the my, five year, my five year ends in, in October. And I, I was right. locked in at 1.49%. So oh. for me at the moment, I managed to get locked in at 4.775 this week. But I'm looking at my mortgage right now thinking, you know what? I'm just going to throw cash at it. I'm just going to throw yeah, cash, yeah, pay yeah. it down and try and Absolutely. get that done as quickly as possible. Which because, reminds me actually, Peter, yeah. I would love if we have time on this to talk about what I think is actually a fantastic opportunity for first-time buyers taking a medium-term view. Absolutely, I, I think, yeah, sure. I think, I think there's a really big, because of how far I see house prices coming down, I think that the, for the, the, you know fortune favours the bold and the prepared. Or as they said, only fools and horses. He who dares, Rogers. He who dares. <laughs> um, the, the, um, 
there there are big opportunities we'll come on to talk about that in a minute but but you know it, yep. very few people fully grasp how bleak the next three four five years are going to be it, it's, give, it's, give us an overview of what you think is going to happen then well um unemployment being triple what it is now by 2026 uh massive cuts to the to uh public sector jobs um uh, all the companies all the large companies currently existing because of, of very large amounts of debt at low interest who are going to experience the the the, the pincer effect or the, the 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 perfect storm of their interest rate and their debt going up and mm -hmm. their revenues coming down because of people like you suddenly having a lot of money taken out of your disposable income to pay your mortgage. You know, mm -hmm. all those people, <clears throat> everyone who's affording their mortgage payments, people go, oh, they're okay. People who can afford their new mortgage payment won't have to sell. True. And they won't, that people will try and do that first, but what's going to happen? That money's coming straight out of the economy. Mm. All that money is being sucked out of the economy going into mortgages instead. So th th there is going to be a, a horrendous recession but 2024 is going to be horrible. 2025 is going to be even worse. Uh, and, um, you know, not, there'll be plenty of people who will be okay. The, 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 the people who are prepared, who paid down their mortgage as much as they could, who have stopped overspending, who paid off their debts, and who've got good, stable jobs. There are plenty of people with stable jobs, et cetera. But, you know, and, and also there will still be housing transactions. You know, our housing transactions now are, they're down almost 50%. They're going to be down, they're down thirty percent on 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 last year, quarter on quarter for Q1. It's going to be more like forty percent for Q2. So transactions down, but but there's still forty to fifty thousand people a month moving house. So whenever I hear this 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 answer, which is well, people still moving. Yeah, of course they are. People never stop moving. People, people but are they move houses. are they moving in terms of renting or moving in terms of or no, buying? No, that's, that's just transactions, buying and selling. So okay. there are still okay, good. Yeah, for, you know, even in even when the market is in its deepest doldrums, there will still be forty to fifty thousand transactions happening a month. Mm -hmm. Right, but they will be at much much lower prices, uh, and it's going to be much much harder to get those transactions over the line. Now we've just been discussing worst case scenario, right? ninety ninety five percent mortgages, and your question was. What, what's my take on people considering that now? Well, if, you, if you're someone comfortable with rolling the dice and you accept the reality and you're prepared for the worst and owning a place with a 95% mortgage is still more attractive than renting or wherever you're living now, do it. As long as you've considered the worst case scenario and you're okay with it. If you're not okay with that, and there are lots of people who won't be okay with that, um, then understand that Right now, through no fault of yours or anyone else's, just because of the where we are in the cycle, now is probably the worst possible time to buy with a large loan-to-value mortgage unless you get a bargain. And there are bargains to be had even now. So for those who are prepared to put in the time and the effort to get out there and view and be savvy about it, there will be sellers out there dropping their prices <laughs> as well as okay so here's a question for you though charlie because i'm sure that this will be in the back of the mind or on the tip of the tongues of, of the people watching this who are first-time buyers they're looking for a bargain but how do they recognize a bargain when the sentiment is property prices are going to continue to fall so how do they identify that and i think that's that's the same psychological to, you know turmoil people go into when they're investing so, so markets this is, are going down yeah. when do they go in 
So this is this is how to identify a bargain. Two things. First of all, lazy people will never ever find a bargain because there are active people prepared to put in time and effort and energy to find bargains. And if you aren't prepared to put that time, energy, effort in, you won't find them. It's as simple as that. You just won't find them, right? So do not expect to find bargains by sitting and scrolling through Rightmove. Not going to happen. Like literally not going to happen. You, you will not find a bargain if your primary source of searching for property to look at is on Rightmove. The way to identify a bargain is number one, and it's what I say to my viewers all the time, be out viewing properties. Even properties that you don't think you're going to like that much. As long as you are a bona fide buyer and it's in good faith and you're not just wasting the agent's time, be out viewing because you are looking for a bargain. Be honest about that fact and say, hey, look, I, I know the state of the market now. I'm not going to be paying asking price unless it's an absolute you know, dream home that's coming on, on a great price. But I am prepared to look and if there are motivated sellers out there who want a quick sale, I'm an unencumbered buyer with nothing to sell. I've either got cash or I've got my mortgage and principal ready and I can move quickly. So if you've got motivated sellers, Mr. and Mrs. Agent, give me a call. I'll come and look at stuff. Mm. Um, it's always an interest of agents to show properties to people because the more people they show the property to who don't offer, the more uh, the more ammunition they've got to go to the seller and say, you need to lower your price. Right? Every mm -hmm. viewing that doesn't get an offer means an increased chance of the price being lowered. Now, but to, to, to answer your question directly, it, to identify a bargain, you will only know that there's a bargain because you've been out viewing everything else. So you know what's on, you know what prices, you know what's selling, you know what's not. You know how much stuff is on the market, you know how much isn't selling of the kind of property that you're looking to live in, right? And then one day something will come on and an agent will ring you up and go, and you've been, you know, you've been putting in the effort, you've been, and I'm telling you, this, this seller has just rung me and said, they now need to sell, they don't care, they just have to get rid of it. And I'm calling you because I know you're one of the most motivated buyers. Um, that's you know, but th there isn't a place called bargains are us where you can just turn up and get a bargain ever <laughs> yeah. and it's am it amazing me how many people think that there are right yeah you've got to put in the work you've got to invest in in relationships with agents you've got to put out of your mind that estate agents are bad people to be treated badly that that will like even when that's true even when there are agents who who do behave appallingly badly if you treat them badly they won't call you when the bargain comes mm. along right yeah Treat your agents well, no matter how they behave. You should treat other people well anyway, right? But treat them well, in, in, invest in your relationship so that they remember you because you've been out there viewing and you think, oh, I haven't got time for this, I haven't got time for that. What, what, what is it a few hours a month of your time if it ends up getting you a bargain home a year earlier than everyone else has to wait? Yeah. So yeah. the only way you can identify a bargain, the only way is to be out there viewing and you won't need anyone else to tell you it's a bargain. You'll know. Because you'll have seen all the other stuff that isn't selling. And then you'll have, I mean, my first flat that I bought, it was pure dumb luck. It wasn't anything to do with hard work. It was just right place, right time, when the market was the right time. I, I happened to, to go out there. I had a very small amount of cash, just enough to buy a, a, a sort of basement one-bedroom flat in Brighton. Um, and I went to the agent, and I said, this is how much I've got. And he went, Oh, we've really only got one thing that's even close to that price and it's not very nice. I said, well, I'll have a look at it. Went and looked at it and it was a tenanted property. It was, it was in a terrible state. Uh, and I put an offer of 30% under asking because that's all I had. I didn't mm -hmm. have a mortgage. That's literally all I had. Um, I, I would have offered more if I'd had more, but I didn't. 
and I got it because the seller was the seller was a landlord who was getting rid of a portfolio. And he said, "I just went out," and I was yeah. the only offer, and he sold it. Yeah. And so you know, I didn't expect to get it, but if you're not out there looking and making the offers, you never get it. And people, the other thing people shouldn't do is don't ever, ever, ever be nervous about making an offer because you're oh, I'm really worried about offending them. That they'll be fine. It's business at the end of the day, and if you don't ask, you don't get. The, it's not, it's that's, not that's, just business. That's if, they if they don't have any other offers, if yours is the only offer, then you are the market for their property. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there we are. Yeah. Right. So, on, I, I have to ask you this, and this kind of is an extension of the whole loan to value um, conversation. But recently, I don't know whether you spotted this, um, Skipton announced this 100% yeah, yeah. deposit mortgage. No deposit mortgage, 100% mortgage. Now, typically when they're building these things, they would, have, they would have had their risk tolerances around interest rates and affordabilities and all that kind of stuff. And in reality, the people that that, that specific product is going to help are still going to be extremely high earners. But I, I'll be interested to know, what's your take on that? Because I've been saying to people, like, you've got to be really, really careful because the risk of negative equity is huge, absolutely huge. And what you don't want is you don't want to be in a position where you may be fixed for five years because you think that's the right thing to do, but property prices crash, then all of a sudden you're a mortgage prisoner. You can't actually move from yeah. the provider to anywhere else because the property market has moved against you or you're just in this position where you're kind of just, you're screwed. You've got nowhere to go. I'd love to know your thoughts. Well, first of all, um, I asked Twitter and all the mortgage brokers I know if anyone knew of anyone that had taken one out, and apparently not a single person has taken one out. Um, the rates on those are very high. Yeah, it, well, I think uh, it was like 5.39 at the at the time yeah, when it was yeah, launched. Yeah, exactly. That was about a month ago. To go it was, it was great PR. It was great PR. And what they'll have had is they'll have had a lot of inquiries from people that can't have it, and they'll get a 95% mortgage instead. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's it's total kamikaze stuff to do that now. But again, compared to renting, there are people for whom it will work, right? Mm. There are people for whom are going, I'd rather have a 100% mortgage and go into negative equity and be paying it off and stay there for 10 years, 15 years, than rent. I just don't want a landlord moving me on again. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to have to wait for a landlord to fix my fridge or my boiler. I, I just want a home that I can maintain and look after and live in and get on with my life. So there, there are people, but I mean, that's expensive. You know, it's it's expensive mm. that mortgage, and and there will be a time when that actually does make sense. You know, a couple of years yeah. from now, when the market's yeah. gone to the bottom. But right well, now, you'd be you'd be batshit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I don't know whether that offer would still stack up given everything that's happening now with interest rates moving. I don't know. I'm guessing they'll. Yeah. If, it, if it remains on the market for too much longer, I'll be very very surprised. Yeah. Talk to me about um, <clears throat> property for, you know property investors because social media is all about you know property investing and all this kind of stuff it's so sexy right now and everyone's all about i, I want to be a property investor what what's your opinion on where the direction of travel is for that section of people given interest rates and well everything that's going to happen or supposedly could happen in the next two three years okay there are two exceptions to this statement which i'll list but the party is over for those guys. It's been a 40-year party, and it's over. And you will not be able to do what you did before with that. The two exceptions are this. Number one, professional landlords are taking a really long-term view and are buying with cash. Right? Mm -hmm. If they understand that they, want, they actually want to be a landlord, 
that that is a business, right? That's a job. You can't just yeah. you can't yeah. do it on the side and then go and sip cocktails in Ibiza while people are paying off your mortgage anymore. Mm-hmm. That that ship has sailed. Um, but if you've got cash to invest and you understand the obligations of a landlord and you'll be a good one and you'll look after your tenants, look after your properties and they'll stay in a long time, then there are respectable long-term returns to be made that allows it won't have a mortgage to pay off, right? And, and as a tenant, it's great because if a landlord's got no mortgage and somebody's fixing, they've got the money to do it because they're not paying a mortgage yeah, off. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know? So for, for, for professional conscientiously-minded landlords who understand that being a landlord is not an investment. Being a landlord is a commitment, a human-to-human commitment. You are in the provision, you are in the business of providing someone with a home as a service. It's Mm -hmm. homes as a service. That's what you do. It's not an investment. It's a business. Being a landlord is a business, not an investment, right? An investment is you buy your stocks in your app and you go and check in on them every week and see how they're doing, right? But being a landlord is You've got human beings trying to get on with their life, living in your property that you're responsible for maintaining. That is not an investment. It's a business. And it needs to be run like a business. And It's interesting you use the language, Charlie, because I, I, I love language is important. Mm. And it drives me nuts when people say it's a passive, inv- it's a passive uh, stream, of in- uh, stream of income. I'm like, you still have to freaking work with this thing. It's like, you know, it's it's not money coming off a, off a money tree all of a sudden. And I, I know very successful, intelligent landlords. They rent their properties out at typically 10% below market value. Now, why would they do that? Why would it make sense for a successful, wealthy landlord to do that? Because there's a direct correlation between how low, how much below market your rent is and how many void periods you have. Yeah, true. I can One see that. One month void yep. is 8% gone of your, of your income for the year. So if your tenant rotation, tenant turnover is five years instead of two years, it makes sense to lower your rent so you get far more applications and then you can be much more picky about your tenants and you go quality tenants and th- 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 you can pick and choose. Pick a quality tenant that you know is going to stay for a long time, got a good job, and it just makes sense to do that. Yeah. You know, all the landlords are like trying to squeak out every extra 50 quid a week they can from the rent or whatever it might be. It, it's a false economy, totally false economy. Yeah. Um, and also when a tenant feels like they're not being gouged by their landlord, guess what? They behave better. Mm-hmm. Look after the place a little yeah. bit more. Whereas if Probably you put their own money into it themselves. You landlord, you don't care. Yeah. You know, you've got that attitude, I'm being ripped off, I want my money back. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I want my money's worth. Sorry, not money back. But, but yeah. um, so 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 that's that's one group of people who can still, as an investor, let's replace the word investor as a business owner with funds to invest into running a business, become a landlord, a professional landlord, have a portfolio, and make a business out of managing that portfolio of tenants and and properties. You know, property maintenance is a non-stop job. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Um. Number two, this is harder, but it can be done. And it's not so much an investor. It's more for home movers that want to try and trade up. There is a profit margin to be made from buying a fixer-upper. Yeah? It, and if you, I know lots of people who've bought, lived in it while they've done it, and sold it, and then been able to trade up. And they haven't done it 
as an investment so much as they've done it as a step ladder to get into the home they want to get to. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So there's functionality and purpose behind it. Yeah. But, but I mean, a, a, a property as an investment, just purely as an investment now, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. Interesting I, I take. Yeah, I wouldn't be going anywhere near it for at least at least three years. Cash buyers looking to buy a property to become professional landlords, yes. And if you're in the business, if you are a property de um, developer where you buy property to fix it up and then sell it, if you're good at that, then yes, you can still make a living. But that's not investment. That's a business. You, you are in the business of developing property, buying it up, fixing it up, and selling it. That, that, that will always happen. There's always a market for that. But for pure investment, where I want to put my money in and get a return on it out of property, yeah, that, 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 right. should so, sell the parties over. That's not going to happen again for a very long time. Yeah. So you did say that there will be some. There are potential opportunities for first-time buyers. What what would they look like? Right. So I I put a tweet out a couple of days ago that that kicked off a massive debate in the comments. And I said, if I was a first-time buyer now, I would be saving furiously and getting as close as possible to being a cash buyer in a couple of years from now when prices have come down 35%, which is what I think they're going to do on average. Okay. And that tweet, the, 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 the tweets underneath filled up people going, that's a ridiculously stupid thing to say, that's impossible. And other people going, that's exactly what I'm doing and giving their actual numbers and their figures. Now, there are parts of the country where that's not going to happen, okay? Um, but there are parts of the country where it can happen. There are parts of the country now where you can buy a, a terraced house for under £100,000. And if you're on an average income and uh, as a couple and you can save a couple of thousand quid a month by living with your parents or, or, or living in shared rented, and you can do that for a couple of years and save up 40 grand and maybe you've already got 10 grand saved up already, you're now up to 50 grand and the, the houses that are currently 80 grand have come down to 60 grand. You might only need a 10 grand mortgage and you'll pay that off within a couple, within a year. So um, for, for those, you know who I mean, Peter, for the hustlers, for the people who are prepared to work hard, maybe get a second job just for a period of time. But, you know, it's a life choice, right? Yes, you're going to be making sacrifices on your quality of life while you're saving. But if you make a decision that I want to own my own home outright, I want to have somewhere to live that I own. I don't own the banks, know anyone else want to live there. And you decide to say, right, we're going to spend two, three, four, maybe five years. We're going to save every penny. Um, then in normal times, that's much, much harder. But if you're doing that while prices are falling, the market's coming down to meet you. And so we have a probably once in 20 year opportunity for that to happen now. For people who are saving and where they're looking at interest rates going, interest rates now, no, uh, you know, house prices coming down, too risky, et cetera. Let's buckle down and save and save and save. People who want to do that will do very nicely out of it in 2025, 2026. Now, yeah. You may or may not be a cash buyer, but if you're a 50% mortgage, yeah, to, to get your place, Less debt. you're going to pay that off but in rates. 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, inter it's an interesting take. And I guess my mind immediately goes to the arguments and, and the comments that I know that people will automatically be thinking in their head is, you know, well, salaries are not keeping up anywhere near. So, and disposable income isn't anywhere near where it should be given inflation being the main uh, squeeze on, on disposable incomes now. But I think part of what you said is also true in the fact that, you know, we 
we to a certain extent have to take a little bit of responsibility and, and decide, well, okay, what are we willing to sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Um, because this is no, it's no, it's no tall feat. It, it's it's not an easy thing. It's yeah. always going to be hard, regardless of whether property prices fall thirty five percent from now in the for the next two years. It's still going to be a feat, depending on where you are in the country. And so I guess it really comes back down to the fact that you need to make a commitment and be dedicated to right. I want to achieve this. What is it going to take? And the answer that you're going to get may be one that's very very difficult and unpalatable <laughs> to. To, to digest, but it is the answer that is going to get you there. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, for a lot of people will be difficult to kind of digest and take. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it very much depends on the kind of person, their kind of attitude. You, you, there are people whose attitude is, I go to work in the morning, I come home in the evening, I get paid for my job, that's it. You're never going to achieve what I'm talking about. Those, those, those guys, right? That's not, not a criticism. It's like, you know, I go to mm-hmm. work, I work really, really hard, I come home, I'm knackered, I've got nothing else left and I'm not earning enough money. You know, especially people in some public service jobs, like, you know, teachers and nurses and stuff, that's going to be close to impossible and, and they already do crazy yeah. hours, you know? So yeah. I get that there are people for whom this, this, this suggestion doesn't work, but no suggestions work for everybody. But there yeah. are people who are at a point in their life when circumstances might allow them to do this, where, yeah, they've got a full-time job, maybe they then get an evening job. And by getting that evening job, maybe just two or three evenings a week in a bar or something, you suddenly realize that you can actually accelerate your saving rate, accelerate your accumulation. Um, maybe you've got a side hustle. Maybe you're someone who's got a job, but also you buy and sell a car every month and make an extra 500 quid doing that yeah. and enjoy it because you might be into cars or you might buy and sell stuff yeah. on eBay. You have a side hustle. But the point is, you know, there are, there are 24 hours in a day, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work and eight hours for whatever else you want. Typically. Yeah. You know, you know what? Just to back up what exactly what you just said there, I do want to share this comment. Um, where was it? Oh, I've just clipped off to something else. Let me see if I can find it because people will be watching this either with us right now, and there's 142 of you on here. And can I just ask, if you are watching this live, please do get those like numbers up because it means that the, the YouTube algorithm will push this further. So if we can get it up to 80, that would be amazing. But there was, a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, oh, look, this, isn't, this, this is never going to be realistic for me. Or I don't want to hear it. Uh, this never works for anybody. Right. And it's not going to work for everyone. But I do just want to, right, this is the comment, right? So what, look at this comment, which tells you that people look at things very, very differently and it's completely fine. My, myself and my fiance have an 80K deposit as first-time buyers. It's taken years to save, but currently it's still um, borderline unaffordable. I don't want anyone to lose their home, but it needs to correct. So, and what I want to point out there is 80K deposit. It's taken years to get there. And a lot of the time, it is sacrifice to get there. Now, I would argue that actually it may be borderline unaffordable right now, but if property prices come down to meet you, that 80K deposit is going to get you in a better position than if you never had started on the journey in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Okay, cool. So we've come to the, the opportunities for first-time buyers there. I'm just scanning the comments really, really quickly. Um, to see if there's any questions that we can that we can basically take um, on here. And let me just address this very, very quickly, guys. Like, you know, this is not about scaring people. We're talking about from experience what people are seeing. And one of the things that drives me nuts, and I, I talked about this on my live a couple of days ago, people will say, ignore the news. And I'm like, 
mm, yeah, all right. If you feel like it's a a bubble of hyperbole and it's egged on to kind of make people angry, then pay attention to the news, but take it with a pinch of salt. But you ha need to have the ability to read between the lines because a lot of the stuff that matters for the economy that are directly going to impact you, some of that information is going to be found in the news. So you need to be discerning enough to understand what you're hearing, what you're reading, and taking the relevant information out of it. It's not about scaring people. It's about giving opinions based on experience. And I think that's the most important thing here. You know, take it with a pinch of salt, take what you want from it. You don't have to believe anything we're saying here, but we're giving an experienced view. And that's that's really important to remember. I don't know what you would add to that, if anything at all, Charlie. Oh, I mean, it it, it flicks my switch, this, this whole thing about scaring people. I mean, I, I get, luckily, I get 10 times more thank you messages saying, thank you, your advice has helped us get into a home we wouldn't have got into, or you, you, you I, I've mm -hmm. sold. Uh, I get literally ten times more messages than those. Now you get people saying scam, and the scaremongers are the people accusing of scaremongering. Is like, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Like, if that's all I was doing it for, it, it would I would very very quickly have no one following me. You know, it's mm -hmm. because there's, there's no substance to it. And 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 what it comes down to is this: like, if you were on a beach, and full of people, lovely sunny day, right? And you get a phone call from someone on the other side of the ocean saying there's just been an earthquake, there's a tsunami coming. And you stand on the beach and go, everyone, there's a tsunami, everyone, there's a... And someone goes, oh, shut up, you scaremonger. Maybe you'd rather not know. But most people mm -hmm. would rather know. And all I'm doing is putting out my view from 25 years of working in the property industry, behind the scenes of a state agency, as a technology provider in the data side, right? Plus a, a stint in the city before that. I'm just giving my opinion. You don't have to believe it, um, but I back it up. I back it up every week with my Five Fact Friday videos. I, everything I say, I back up. And if it's just purely opinion, I say that, but I'm not trying to scare anyone. What I'm trying to do, I, I think the scaremonging thing is, is, is really, it's like, you know, what are you, the rabbit in the headlights? Just uh, waiting to be mm. run over by the bus, or do you want to get out of the way? Yep. So yep. I said this to agents last I had some estate agents accusing me of scaremongering last autumn. And I said, look, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong about there being a downturn. And I said, what would you rather? Would you rather be prepared for a downturn that doesn't come? Or not or be, be wiped out by one that you didn't even know was coming? Yeah. Yeah. So, and also, who is scared by this? The people who say, the, the people who make accusations of scaremongering, I, I don't know who'd be scared, right? Uh, uh, if, if I was trying to buy a house now, this isn't scary. This is useful information. If I was trying to sell a house now, is it scary? Yes. Is it also helpful? Yes. Yes. Because if yep. you don't, if you don't listen to what I'm saying about house prices and sit there just waiting for your price as the market drops away from you, where are you going to end up? Whereas, as I get sellers messaging me all the time saying, "I'm so glad I found your channel because otherwise I would have just been holding out for a price." As it was, yep. I got I dropped my price because of your channel, got it sold. Thank God I did. So I still don't understand who is scared by this. Who's actually gone, oh no, Charlie, please don't say this. I'm really scared. I, I don't, I don't, I just don't get that. It's not scaremongering. It is cold, hard information that you can choose to disregard or not, right? Don't ever be yep. scared about anything anyone says in the news. Yeah. Like, yep. Consider it. It's all there for information mind. at the end of the day. That's what it all is. Yeah. There, I is, always, there yeah. is a... I, one last thing, Peter. Sorry. I always say yep. to people, don't listen to me. 
hear what I have to say and then make up your own mind. Do research elsewhere. Make up your own mind. Don't listen to me. Don't but here's the thing, answer. Charlie. That's what people should be doing. Mm. You shouldn't go to YouTube and be yeah. like, oh, this guy said this. That's Bible. That's gospel. I'm going to go follow everything he just said. Right. No, you yeah. use it as a basis for research. Yeah. Whether you're buying property, selling property, investing in the stock market, whether you want to go and, I don't know, start a business, whatever you're using YouTube for in relation to money or your personal finances, you should be using it as a research tool to gain yeah. information. So you can take that information, go and make up your own mind based on other pieces of research. And people yeah. just forget that. And I feel it's so important. It feels like it should be something that you don't need to say, but it's really important to point it out. There is a question here from DB. A lot of people are asking where the stig is. Where is the stig? Before I ask you this question. Well, he he wasn't invited. <laughs> honest, to be so, honest, mate. Next time, I will. I'll, I'll ask you to bring him along. Because I mean, yeah, you've got to be quite brave, right? Yeah, you know, he he's the. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's just between you and him. I mean, I, he is one of the most fascinating human beings I know. Uh, and the, the most impressive thing about Stig is uh, his absolute absence of confirmation bias of any kind. He is only interested in the truth and mm -hmm. looking at the numbers to find the truth. And as far as he's concerned, anyone with an opinion one way or the other is an idiot. You just look at the data. <laughs> You just but that, that that is good though to be fair because yeah, that yeah. gives you that neutral point of view because yeah. confirmation bias is a real thing like yeah. it doesn't matter what and social media is designed to to yeah. even exacerbate and yeah. confirm your confirmation bias so you need someone who's kind of very matter of fact yeah. the data doesn't tell us tell us this yeah. or confirm this this is a question for you can charlie go through his logic behind the prediction of the house uh prices dropping in the next two years yes i can um so to start off with, my predictions are that nominal house prices, so not adjusted for inflation, will from peak to trough go roughly 35% on average national across the UK, with regional variations of between 15 and 50% falls. Uh, over however long the peak to trough takes, um, which I'm expecting to be around about three years but that's just based on a number of stuff about how long how long these things take to happen now there are so that, that's my that's my position now um it is it is going exactly as i expected it to because of the uh time lag in reporting completed prices we haven't we can't see the public can't see yet uh, but from what i you know what i can see what i can hear what i know extrapolating stuff we're already now in june 2023 we when when the land registry finally reports the prices that are being agreed in June, which will not complete until October and will not get reported until January next year. Right. So in January, land registry goes here. Here's October's official prices. It would be for prices being agreed now in June. And I'm saying that those prices are about 12 to 13 percent off the highs already on average, roughly. Right. OK. Um, and uh, I, I, I know this, right? I've got a whole WhatsApp private message group of agents today discussing exactly what's happening with how much the average offers under are coming in at and stuff like that. So I, I have my finger on the pulse at the coalface. Now, the reasons for my my uh, behind those falls, they are there, there are two different sets of reasons. I'll give you my reasons, and then I will also give you Stig's reasons because they, they, they complement mm -hmm. each other. Mine were 
that um, mine were quite unscientific. It was a really simple thing. I, through my website, Best Agent, uh, where we've yep. got all the property in England, Wales for sale and to rent on there. And so we, I can see the data. I can see properties coming onto the market. I can see the average prices. I can see how much is going under offer and how much is falling through. I saw it change last year. I saw it start to change, like for the first time in years. Like, ooh, okay. I, and I saw the stock going up. I saw the number of properties going under offer dropping. I knew that wouldn't come through into official figures for about six months, but I could see it. And the number of buyers, and I talked to agents every day. So what I could tell was that the, the several, the three or four years of just relentless price increases had run out of steam. Now, at the same time that happened, inflation spiked, right? Separate point, right? But inflation spikes. And actually, if you remember, it was actually April last year when we first got hit with a massive increase in energy bills. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was tying in this thing with, okay, the demand has suddenly has suddenly reduced. The supply of stuff is, is now starting to increase. Inflation is going up, which means that interest rates will go up, which means that mortgage prices will go up, which means that people's budgets that they're buying with, first-time buyers at the bottom of the market, right? The property market is a pyramid, right? First-time buyers are more than 50%. Whether mm -hmm. they like it or not, and how much, no matter how much deposit they've got, the amount they're going to be able to borrow is going to come down. And mm -hmm. that hasn't even mm -hmm. started yet because there's a big delay in how long it takes for that to come through. So you start to add those things together and it becomes plain, simple maths. I mean, not even complicated maths to see that um, house prices are going to collapse. And, and then you added in the fact that there were a lot of landlords starting to sell up because of the changes in landlord law. Um, uh, and then you started adding in uh, the more and more energy price increases. And then you start to see um, company insolvencies going up. And, 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 and. Then my old friend, Alex Groundwater, Stig comes along and goes, you know what, Charlie, you're right. And here are the reasons why. And he points out that there are three things that correlate very closely to house prices that you can track the data of. And they are real wage price growth or shrinkage. Mm-hmm. Um, interest rates mm -hmm. and mortgage approvals. Mm -hmm. And he crunched the numbers and pulled out a 27-year graph with a 97% correlation, a 0.975 correlation between these things and house prices. And all of the metrics, so mortgage approvals, down. Interest rates, up. Most mm -hmm. importantly, real wages, falling. Even with the record wage growth we've got, it's still below inflation, right? Real mm -hmm. wage is falling. And he just said, he said, he, he said to me, he said, I, I, I know nothing about property. I just look at numbers. I've gone mm -hmm. back and I've looked at the government numbers. These are all government verifiable data. There's no guesswork in there. And he said, I've just, I've just put the numbers in. I've downloaded the spreadsheets from the Gov website, put the numbers in. There's the correlation. And, and he said, there, there are several scenarios about exactly where it'll come down. But he said, broadly speaking, yeah. But, so he was saying 30, 31, 30, 30, 31% nominal to my 35% nominal. That was last year he was saying that. So that's two different people's points of view. Mine from my position inside the property industry, seeing the data, seeing what's happening with agents at the coalface, hearing the stories and knowing what's happening and having 25 years of experience of understanding, be able to see, well, this is, you know, th this is very, very clear what's happening, which is why I could stick to my guns when everyone said, oh, price, house prices are bottomed out, they're going back up, and the worst, the house price falls behind us. I'm not even getting warmed up, not even getting warmed up. Then you, uh, and 
then you factor in the fact that interest rate increases take at least one year before the effect of them starts to fully be felt. Start no, to fully, not be felt, fully yeah. felt. Begins to be felt, right? There are people who, on the two-year fixes a, a year ago, there's another whole year. So they won't be affected for two years after it happened, but also because of how long it takes for mortgage offers to be made, transactions to go through, funds to be drawn down. So there is this massive time lag that no one can do anything about, which is a measurable, mathematically quantifiable factor in house price projections that nobody ever talks about. And yet it is one of the most reliable features in house price projections is the delay. And, and, and so, so we know today, fact, that the money markets are pricing in Bank of England base rate at 6.25% at the beginning of the Yes. Year, right? Yep. So, yep. So far, and let's just see, well, hang on, are they right or are they wrong? Well, the last year, they've undershot and undershot, and it's been more, it's been worse than they forecast for the last mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's just be optimistic and pretend that they're right, and they're not going to get it wrong again. They are saying that the Bank of England base rate has got another 1.25% to increase over the next six, seven months. Okay. It's interesting you say that because in the in the NBC summary uh, notes yesterday, they were already talking about the fact that the rates that they've been seeing in terms of government borrowing was at 5.56, 5.5%. And I think it was about four weeks ago, I was reading something that was saying, actually, it needs to be in that six region. And that's scary for people to think yeah. like <laughs> that could be coming down the track. And I said on the live it the is. other day, it's all going to be down to whether or not this recent increase in the bank rate does anything for the inflation number they rejig the target for inflation from 7.5 to 8.3 percent literally this past few days or so right. and if at the next check-in it doesn't hit 8.3 it's going to continue to go yeah and that's and so i have to ask you with everything you've just said where's the government in all of this well <laughs> i've got so there are people watching in my live stream there's do you know kezia noble Another YouTuber. Yep. So Kezia is a, a, a freaking commenter of mine, and, and she just, I cannot get this through to her. She's convinced that the government can control house prices. And her comment says, um, both Conservative and Labour will not permit a housing correction. <laughs> like, have you not already The data seen says very, very different. So, yeah. so where's the government in all this? The government, and the number of people who keep on saying, yeah, the government won't let it happen. They can't stop it. Number one, the government does not control the Bank of England who set interest rates. The yeah. only things the government oh, that, I think, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think that's a really important distinction. People yeah. think that Jeremy Hunt is telling Andrew Bailey and the MPC what to do. They are an independent body. The Bank of England and the MPC, their job is to look at money, all that kind of stuff, but also inflation. The target is 2%. It's way above. They will take an independent decision to what Jeremy Hunt or whoever ends up in power says yeah. they should do, because that is their job. And I think that's really an important distinction. Everyone thinks they're in cahoots, that they yeah. get in the meeting and be like, oh, we should we should move this to this today. And it's like, no, these guys are doing this. That's monetary policy. That's their job. The government wishes they're controlled to the Bank of England right now. I can tell you that. <laughs> which mm. is, it's, it's causing a nightmare. So, um, you know, when the government provides sustained, significant stimulus, such as help to buy, that 
has a noticeable effect on house prices. Okay, when the government makes stamp duty changes, that has a noticeable and measurable effect on house prices. It cannot stop house prices falling or make them go up, but it does have, a, you can see, if you go look at house price graph over the last 20 something years, you can see that when help to buy was bought in, it, it, it had a difference, it made a difference, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just, lending, in, in London, they're lending people 40%. 40%, that's massive. Yeah. So, but even with that in place, they can't actually control house prices, okay? So, and Jeremy Hunt has been crystal clear twice in the last two weeks. We will yeah. not be bailing out mortgage holders. We will not be, we will, interest rates will keep going up, even if it causes a recession. And yet there are still people like Dear Kezia going, no, 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 they're going to save us. They're going to save us. And they're just not. Um, yeah. So I think where... it's really important for people to understand. Look, beyond what you've just said there in terms of interventions and stuff, there may be a few other things. But what they cannot do is they cannot provide financial assistance where they have to turn on the money printer. It's going to make it a whole lot worse. And so there is very little that they can basically do. And for some reason, I don't, mate, I think about this more and more and more. And I'm just like, there's the political side to this, right? In terms of, yes, political parties are going to try and do everything that they can in terms of their verbiage to get people enraged so they can get themselves in office. But I ask myself, like the Conservatives, the Tories are done. If Labour gets in or the Green Party gets in or the Lib Dem Dems get in, can they fix this? I'm not 100% no. sure that they can. Nobody can and I don't it. think any of them have the foggiest idea of what to do. So let, let me, I'll just try and give an off the top of my head 30 second crash course in why no government can fix this. Okay. We've got the largest government debt since 1961. The government has to borrow money more and more every single month at the moment, and it's borrowing it from the private money markets. They are the people that decide whether or not the government could borrow money, and if so, at what rate they pay. So the gilt yields, which you often hear about the news, is effectively the government interest rate. So when gilt mm -hmm. yields go up, it means that the government interest rate is going up. It means it's more expensive for them to borrow. Now, the problem, the reason that the, the government can't just borrow whatever it feels like it to just prop up the housing market, is because the money markets, as cost this the money. is store in September, yeah. the money markets went, when they heard Liz Truss's plan and, and Kwasi Kwarteng's plan, they went, no, no, you cannot do that. That is mm -hmm. total financial madness, and we will not fund it. That's mm -hmm. what the money markets said. So the government can only do what the money markets think is safe, because the money, the money markets won't lend the government money if the government is reckless. The other reason that they can't do it is because it destroys the value of the pound. Now, what, does, mm -hmm. what happens when you destroy the value of the pound? It makes imports the more expensive, market. and it drives yep. inflation up. Yep. And, and then there's confidence the dented. Yep. So yep. to all of you who think that the government can just go, Ta-da! Here's some money to prop up the housing market. They can't. They cannot. They can guarantee stuff. Um, they haven't got to find money to guarantee stuff, um, although you know, guaranteeing COVID-19 is, is, is coming back to bite them. Um, that's yet to come out, right? Just what that's going to cost them. Uh, they can guarantee stuff. They can do certain things. They can do tax breaks. They can do you know, inheritance tax stuff. They can change those kind of things. And those will have an impact on And stamp duty. But those are just minor influences the, the biggest one is help to buy but otherwise it's minor influences on the property market and what's happened the property market is so big it's it's bigger than the government can control
right? It, it really, really is. And, you know, and this, this, I, I, it makes me laugh every time I see, oh, the government and all the mates, because they're all landlords, they're going to keep house prices up. I mean, if, if they could actually hear you say that, they, they'd laugh and go, oh, you know, if only, if, if actually, yeah, if we could do that, it'd be great, but we can't. Um, so where is the government all this? The government has got bigger problems than the housing market itself, although the housing market is a very big problem for it. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, the fact that you've got Jeremy Hunt inviting the heads of the bank round to talk about mortgage forbearance. What do you make of that yesterday? What do you make, what do well, you make of that? Well, two things. First of all, the fact that it happens at all tells you how worried they are about what's coming down the line okay number one number two they, they wanted to obviously be seen to be doing something but what i think mm -hmm. about it was yes if someone gets an extra six months before the house is repossessed which roughly speaking is what they've actually sorted out right mm -hmm. uh it's not a 12 months it's not a full 12 months. It, and and that helps that person turn their life around get a new job and, and save their house I'm all for it. That's wonderful, right? I'm one of everyone that can save their house. I'm all for everyone saving the house. And I my, you know, I, I campaign hard against homelessness, avoidable homelessness. So if it's just the question of a few more months, then you've got a job and you can service your mortgage again. Brilliant. Otherwise, it was it was Peter, it was frankly insulting. Oh, now you can talk to your your talk to your bank. Mate, you listen. Talk to your bank. Listen, I, I they asked me on Sky News to talk about that. I'm like, it's not new. You've always been able to talk to your your provider and it won't impact your credit score. And I think one I, I was speaking to someone else actually, I was speaking to Fumi. She was like, apparently there was um there was a a paper published by the FCA, and in that paper, they actually polled the general public and they and the the results were people actually thought if I went to my mortgage provider and said I'm struggling, that that immediately has an impact, which is why they put it out there. And I said yesterday on Sky, I said, look. The only reason, the only good thing that I see in this is the fact that we're talking about this in, in the public domain. So people are now aware, but it's always been there as something that should never impact your credit score anyway. There wasn't really anything too innovative that they suggested. Right. I would have liked to have seen more for mortgage prisons, which I said, said on Sky News yesterday. There's nothing really tangible, really, that's, that was announced yesterday. But I guess it's, it's, it's theatre. It's theatre. It really is theatre, and it's patronising, and it annoys me because nothing. If they'd come out and said, "We have agreed to change the following rules on repossessions," and those rules are now this, respect. If they'd done that, but it was just it was guff, as I say, it was just guff. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at. I'm just scanning. I'm also conscious of time because we've been at like an hour, seventeen minutes or so. I'm just scanning questions and stuff. Like there's lots and lots and lots of like conversations going on in here from landlords and from different people and stuff. And it's great to have this many people engaging and everything. Um, I'm just. I'm just going to see if there's maybe one or two questions I can just pull out if you have time, Charlie. Um, I, I'm. I'm, I'm happy. The, the, if there are people watching, they're getting help from this. I'm happy to go. Keep going. What are the comments saying in your, on your on your stream right now? Have you got anything in there that's that's juicy or interesting? Um, I haven't been paying close attention. I have got a lot. Uh, okay, so yeah, I, I, here's one I just picked up, which reminds me I want to bring up. I don't think the money printer has been turned off just yet, says Nomic Gnome. Uh, yes, it has. It was turned off at the end of 2021, in fact, I think. Uh, December 2021. So it was on the money printer, the quantitative easing process, which is actually the Bank of England buying gilts. Right? So it's not printing money. Yep. It's the Bank of England lending the government money. 
um, uh, 13 or so, it was temporary measures, wasn't it? It was after 2008, it was a temporary measure that, that, that lasted for 13 or 14 years. Not only has quantitative easing, easing ended, the money printing has ended, um, they are now actually doing the opposite and they're unprinting the money and they're selling their gilts back to the market. And it's all published on the Bank of England website. You can go and check it out. So if you hear anyone saying, oh, they'll just keep pr printing money. No, they won't. They are, mm. they are, I mean, if there was some drastic emergency that they might do, but but this isn't it. And I think a lot of people think that just because the government bailed us out because of COVID, they'll bail us out because of anything. No, they won't. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every single advert for a mortgage or a loan that you see says in it, in the small print and in the audio, your home is at risk if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or other loan secured on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like no one's heard that. Yep. If you don't keep up your repayments, I completely agree. You they can will lose your, home. your house. Yeah, right. That those are the rules. They were the rules. You signed the paperwork where it said that when you took your mortgage out. I'm not, I'm not being harsh here. I'm just saying, I don't know where this expectation has come. It's like, oh, things are getting really hard. Oh, the government will pay. And there's hmm. no such thing as government money. It's taxpayers' money. All of it. All of it. Well, the government. I, I, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, just so I'm a little curious to see what your thoughts are, um, because this has been a, range, a raging discussion in my Instagram comments and my DMs. Okay. This whole notion. So Labour came out, I think it was yesterday or so, and I commented on it and they were saying, we should force the banks to, to render help. And I'm like, how are you going to force them? Yeah. Like you can bring in regulations, you can you can ask them to do this, but you can't force them, especially when a mortgage is a legally binding contract. So if you force them to do something that makes them lose money, who's going to pay for it? Someone has to pay for it. And the and the comment that I'm getting a lot of, and I understand where the sentiment of this comes from. Well, you know, we bailed out the banks in 2007, 2008. They should now bail the general public out. What's your stance on that? specifically and what do you think if anything the banks could do more of so let me check i heard that question right what's my stance on the banks now bailing out because because the government bailed the should the, should should the should the banks be forced to help or should no, no, not force should the banks render more help to struggling homeowners because of the the dynamic that we bailed out the banks in 2007, 2008 because of that, that crash, that massive crash. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't because it would destroy their shareholder value. So it would, it would, it would you, you know, so e even if you hypothetically, the banks said, hey, we're, we're going to come and help bail everyone out. The banks would collapse very quickly. Their share price would collapse. Please explain why. Please explain why. Because I try to elate this to people, but I don't think I do a good job of explaining it well enough. A bank is just a business like any other business, which is required to make profits for its investors and its shareholders. That's it. You know, they are. They are. They are. That. That is. They are businesses. They're in the business of lending money. They're. They're. They're all publicly owned and listed, and have stock, and, and they've got big pension funds. Uh, and so they have got large shareholders, especially at pension funds and the like as well, and hedge funds, who have expectations of that bank's performance. And pension fund holders, individual pension fund holders, would not be happy to find out that their pension value had dropped because the bank's shares had completely collapsed because the bank suddenly turned itself into a charity. 
they, they're not in a position to do it even if they wanted. Yes, they can do very, very small amounts here and there. But to, 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 to become any form of charitable organization where they're now bailing people out, helping people out, fundamentally alters the nature of the business that they're in and would, would basically just create a shareholder uh, exodus from banks. And when and share, I think, banks, and I th share prices collapse, the banks collapse. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile just like reiterating, guys. You know, there's a lot of media hype and there's a lot of pub talk. Like, take it with a pinch of salt, please. You've got to understand that, you know, from an economic point of view, our financial sector is probably one of the biggest contributors to our GDP. It's one of the biggest, but it's so interconnected. If the banks decide, right, we're going to take less profits from our mortgage business, the shareholders aren't going to be happy. Now, when the shareholders aren't happy because profitability has actually then dropped, what they're going to have to do is then start letting people go. And when they start letting go, people go, people lose jobs, can't pay their mortgage, lose their homes, right? Then you make that even worse and go one step further. The bank closes down. How many customers do they have? How many business customers do they have? So businesses that use that service, businesses shut down. The economy basically gets wrecked from this one little idea that the banks need to be the ones to step in to help people with their mortgages. It's, it's such an interconnected web that, Simple notions like that just aren't practical in the real world. And, you know, we talk about taking ownership and understanding how this stuff works. We don't get taught it in school. That is the biggest crime. And as you get into serious conversations about being a property owner, get on the property lab, making big boy decisions, this is where an understanding of how this corrupt, sometimes interconnected web of just I don't know, sludge is so important. And it's not always pretty. It's not always pal palatable. It's not always attractive, but it's the beast we have to deal with. And understanding how that beast works is important because it at least allows you to understand how you're going to interface, what to expect, what your responsibilities are, how you can protect yourself to make sure that you don't get stung. And as harsh as a, as a message that may be, and I'm palatable for people to hear, it is the truth and you can't you can't dispute that truth because it's irrefutable yeah i've actually got a commenter on my channel here saying the uk depends upon ability to import food and goods and software etc and needs a strong pound the strength of the pound depends on restricted money supply and a high-ish interest rate which is that's the other thing guys it's very very unlikely interest rates are ever going to go back down to where they have been in the last 15 years um mm -hmm. uh Stig, who's been pretty spot on with his interest rate forecast so far, thinks that they will briefly come down to maybe two and a half percent to three percent before then settling at between three point seven five and four point two five percent. So about four percent, roughly, give mm -hmm. or take a quarter percent, is where he thinks us. Because where he's, you know, the, the point is this: you, you, one of the reasons we're in this problem we're in now is because since the last financial crisis inflation was higher than interest rates so there's no point in saving you're mm -hmm. losing money if you save because the value of your money is shrinking faster um, than the interest rate you can get on it and that's never been the case before and it's one of the yeah. reasons that we're here and that's got to change back again it's got to be worth saving otherwise no one's going to build up any assets but the house yeah. price bubble and it's a colossal bubble um and I've upset so many people because I'm in the industry. They're like, Charlie, why are you talking the market down? I'm not talking the market down. No one can talk the market down or up. The market does what the market does. Mm. 
you know, it, it's uh, the markets, it, it's, even the government can't change the market, so certainly I can't change it. Um, yeah, anyway, so I, I'm just also taking a glance at some of the um, comments in my... There, yeah. there are people saying things like, oh, property prices won't fall more than 10%. They already have. We just haven't seen the, the figures yet. The they have through, and they yeah. will for the reasons I explained earlier. It's a mathematical certainty. I call it mathematical gravity. Yeah. You got any yeah, other... Any well, other... There, there, there were some interesting ones in here. There was one about um, the, the, the government taking a US um, stance. Let me just see if I can actually find it. Um, I don't think, I mean, you're talking 2007, 2008 scenarios here, and I don't think that that will ever happen. Here it is. It's possible, uh, show it, it's possible future governments move towards the US style state mortgage backing posture. What do you think? Mm, well, you're talking CBDCs. That's that's when that might happen. Uh, people are scared of that, though. They people are. are scared of that. People yeah, are people right. are reluctant to in, to to embrace that theory. But I mean, yeah, that that that's already actually been spelt out as a potential you know, strategy. So central bank digital currency, and when that's there, you'll then be able to get a mortgage with it. So mm. you'll have a government backed mortgage or central bank backed mortgage. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's entirely possible, uh, but I don't think I, I wouldn't expect to see it before CBDCs come along, which they almost certainly will. Yeah, how long do you think that is down the track? I don't know. I don't have an opinion on it. Alex reckons it's it's about five years. Okay, interesting. And I don't agree or disagree with him. That's his view. I don't have a view on how long that takes. I, I mean, if anything, it'll take longer than that. Um, not, not I would that. have thought it would take longer than that because. It, there's quite a lot in terms of the tech that needs to be put and actually just how it's all going to practically uh, work. Have you seen the, the the article on the Bank of England website about it? They're powering no. ahead. This is happening. Are I mean, they are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been well underway and under construction for a while. And there's there's a whole. If you just Bank of England CBDC, you can read about it. There's a big paper they've got there explaining exactly what they're doing. No one's talking about it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. How? So one. I don't know. This this probably goes off on a tangent a little bit because I'm interested to know how will it all kind of how will it plug in how will it will anything significantly change you know cbdc's arrive tomorrow is there a significant shift in the way things work okay i i'm i'm still very much a student of all the different opinions and theories about cbdc's and i do not have any strong opinions of my own about cbdc's but the some of the messages that I'm picking up, um, the ones that I'm remembering, uh, are they're not pleasant. I mean, they will be. It'll be much more convenient and much safer. So you know, one of the ways that they'll sell it is it's the end of credit card fraud. It's the end of bank fraud. There'll be no, there'll mm -hmm. be no, no CBDC fraud. Okay. Yep. Um, and it's convenient and all this kind of stuff. But but actually. It, it does give the governments that use it phenomenal amounts of control. Control, yeah. Over the country. It's oversight, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing you can do that they're not going to know about, and that's what scares people. Yeah, well, well the, thing that, I mean, the thing that scares me the most is, is that they can decide what you can and can't spend it on, and mm. where you can spend it. It's programmable, pro yeah. programmable, programmable yeah. currency. So you can you can only spend it where you live, or you know. So for example, if there was another lockdown scenario, your money wouldn't work if you if you went too far from your home. 
Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. And and the other thing that I've heard is that they'll be able to actually put a time limit on expiry. You need to spend your money by this date, and if you don't, it expires. Mm. To full, I mean, I, again, I'm not saying that is going to happen. These are the things that I've heard about it. These are speculations. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and uh, uh, I mean, you know, there will be progress of some form or another. What I the most interesting question to me is whether or not, as a society, we will be prepared to accept it. I, I, I don't know, and Alex thinks that we will, because he says that I think there's a an old metal band that has a song called "Give Me Convenience or Give Me Death," or something like that. And so he says that people will just go okay, and it'll form part of a debt jubilee as well, where the government's going to get let off lots of debt, and it'll be sold to us as you know, the savior. And actually, if things are going to get as bad in the economy as that it looks like they are, and it's going to get as bleak as it has been in the past, and everything's going to feel terrible. It may well then be touted as the savior. The savior, yeah. How we get out of this horrible deep recession. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this this is just pure speculation. I'm not having a strong opinion on any of this. I I'm watching it with fascination. I am because, of, above all else, I'm a freedom junkie. I like to be free to do what I want with my life and with my <laughs> Me money. Me and you both, right? Me and, and you I both. Don't like, I don't like being told what I can and can't do. Well, yeah, within the confines of the law, of course, but, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. don't tell me where I can and can't spend my money. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Listen, dude, I'm so thankful that we've done this. This is an hour and a half here. So, guys, I hope that you found a lot of value, whether you're watching on my channel or Charlie's channel. I'm just going to ask you one more time on both of our channels. Please smash the like button. Again, it takes you one second to do but it means that after this is done, YouTube will push it out to other people because they will read that you thought it was interesting, you got value from it. And if you aren't subscribed to either of our channels, then please do subscribe as well because that just supports what we're basically doing here. Um, it's been really, really great, mate. Thank you. I know we've been talking about trying to do this for, for ages on Instagram, yeah. then things just kind of i got busy you got busy and it's been great that we've been able to do this thank you so much and hopefully we can do it again and maybe bring on bring on the stick as well uh, i'd yeah. love to do that and I'm, and thank you very much i'm very grateful for you to come on and i should return the compliment and have you on, on my show one night as well and, 100%, 100%. Uh, and uh yeah it's been fantastic hasn't it it's a full hour and a half we've done this so yeah, yeah. thanks everyone Time for watching as well thank you so much cheers for guys Thank you very much. So one last um, kind of word for me, just for my guys. Um, I'm away for a week from tomorrow. So I will be doing some content, but I'm going to be in a different location. So it will look very different. It will sound very different. I'm not taking any of my stuff with me. I'm not taking my camera or anything like that. I'm going to have my O phone. I've got a little contraption that allows me to get a little bit better audio, but it is going to be different. Um, but I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you so much for watching. Um, someone's asked me whether they can have this track that I play at the end of this live. It is me, but it's not available for release, unfortunately, unless something miraculous happens. It, it's physically going to cost me too much money. So um, here you go. Catch yeah. you later. Surprise, a little different than you're used to. Yeah. Dropping these bars on YouTube. Knowledge I introduce you. Yeah. We chasing this money like it's the prize. It's the voodoo. Fugazi, Fugazi. It's just a lie we buying into. We need some cars on deck. Get the roadies, get the moe, all the Mars on deck. Got the traders here, yeah, check. Got the picture with the Bentley in Dubai here, yeah, check. Are you dripping in designer looking fly here, yeah, check. On the bombardier sipping on the wine, that's a check.
broke, man, we broke. Where's the fun in being broke? Stocks and bonds get you yoked. That's what I'm teaching these folks. I see that smoke, see them choke. Getting coke, getting coke. While I'm researching these stocks, buying coke, buying coke. 20 months on the channel, million people taking note. I got a warrant for buffet. I'm coming for his folks. 